Go ahead and stand with me if you would. We'll turn to John chapter 15. Um, we'll look first at John 17. In my Bible it's across the page. But we'll look at John um, 17. We'll read verse 20 to 26 and then we'll jump back to John 15 verse 9. Titled the message, So Much to Unwrap. Just kind of a play on words with Christmas of course. Reflecting on God's love. And what does that, what kind of place does that put us in? What kind of position as a Christian does God's love um, place us in? We want to think about that for a few minutes tonight. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, it says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which Thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, Thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent me. That's what Christmas is. We're celebrating Christ's birth. And hast loved them as Thou hast loved me. The expression of God's love, sending Christ. Verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which Thou hast given me. For Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known Thee, but I have known Thee. And these have known that Thou hast sent me. I have declared unto them Thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith Thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them." Just kind of reflecting on this passage of Scripture, I, I think there's some clarity here in verse 9 of chapter 15. It says in verse 9, it says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in ye in my love. Let's look to the Lord in prayer as we get started this evening. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, I thank You for Your love for us and the way that You communicated that love through the gift of Your Son. Lord, we recognize this gift at Christmas. And so, Lord, I pray tonight as we look at Your Word that we'll just reflect on Your love and that will move us to a place of even greater action, demonstrating Your love to others. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, if I say Christmas, you say gifts. If I say Christmas, you might say lights. If I say Christmas, you might say Christ. We could go back and forth, but you know, gifts is, is typically kind of the one thing that just pops in our mind, right? Um, to me, that one of the most exciting Sundays of the year is the Sunday we start singing Christmas carols. I love Christmas music, Christmas carols. There's so many things that remind us of Christmas and get excited about it. I love Christmas lights. I like watching, looking at Christmas lights. I just drove by a house Monday night that had a, an incredible display of Christmas lights and thought, I've got to bring my family back here to look at these lights. I mean, I just, I enjoy Christmas. I enjoy the lights. There's so many things. But you know, gifts are something that are special. They're something that are, that are unique and they're shared among friends. They're shared among people that we care about. They bring us kind of special and unique joy. It's, a, it's an opportunity. Gift giving, gift re receiving is a unique opportunity and it's something that we do at Christmas. You know, when, what do you, when you think of gifts, you know, what comes to mind? Well, joy, just excitement. If there's, you know, when you get to the Christmas tree and you start pulling out the gifts and um, some families, I think it's my wife's family that does this, they, they go around and um, 
stack up all the gifts, everyone gets the number of gifts. So you've got a pile, well, you automatically look around and see how many gifts you have, right? You know, but they're based on the size and the uniqueness, you know, the joy grows or, or diminishes, you know, things like that. Of course, I'm not, I'm married into the family, so my pile is usually a little smaller, at least in Isaac's and Ian's and hers, you know. Not, no, no um, resentment or anything like that, but <clears throat> gifts make us feel loved. When someone gives us a gift, goes the time, the effort, and, and buys us something and hopes that we'll enjoy it or use it, you know, we feel loved. We, we enjoy gifts. We're excited about them. You know, at the same time, gifts can do things to us. Especially as you're younger, as a younger kid, a gift can cause you, if you aren't conscientious of this, a gift can cause you to turn inward naturally. You know, someone thought a lot of me. Huh, look. Well, you know, I got this. This is cool. I'm, I'm better looking down on other people, just evaluating your gifts, you know. You can think, well, this is my gift. This is mine. But if you think about it, you didn't buy the gift. If it was a gift, you didn't buy it. Um, you didn't earn it. Uh, and more than likely, you didn't deserve it. You were loved. And so a gift was given to you. You were thought of. You, you were given this gift because you were loved. For all the parents in here, we've had parenting moments. And some of those moments are, we would, you know, not want to repeat, stories we wouldn't want to tell. But occasionally, we have parenting moments that we really enjoy reflecting on and looking back on. And, and for me, a parenting moment um, happened when my parent, when my parents, I can't have a parenting moment to tell my parents stories, when my kids, my boys, started giving me gifts. You know, I can remember most of the gifts they gave me, but more than that, I can remember the surprise and just that parenting moment, that pride that they would think about me and care about me and actually, you know, maybe spend more money than they should have on a gift for me. But just the thought that my kids were returning that love meant the world to me. It was a special parenting moment. And my kids went from, my boys went from just receiving gifts to where they were thinking about what is it my parents, what would my dad want? What's something he can use? What's something he, could, he would like? In my tool belt, I do electrical work, and in my tool bag I have a level, a torpedo level, that my boys bought me for Christmas. And every time I see that level, I think about the fact they put their money together and they bought an electrician's torpedo level. And, and when I look at my tool bag, that, that tool stands out as a gift that represents their love for me. That's what gifts do for us. Um, that's what gifts tell us. They tell us that we're loved and they tell something about the degree of love that we're the recipients of. When we receive a gift, it's important to be grateful for that gift. A proper response to a gift is looking outward, not what we can tend to do, and we would tend to look inward. The right response to a gift is to appreciate the gift giver and to look outward. That's the right response. Romans 6, 23 tells us that the gift of God is eternal life. That eternal life comes through Jesus Christ. God was the great gift giver. You know, Christmas time is a time to be passionate about God's love for us. And if you and I are truly passionate about God's love, 
we'll be passionate about expressing God's love to others. It's important, especially this time of year. So let's just look at a couple verses here um, in John, in these, the, these verses in John, and we'll work our way through this. But or do that, let's turn to John chapter 1, if you would. This is the very first part of John. Now, just kind of understanding where John was coming from, his perspective, one of the early church fathers, um, a martyr, Origen, wrote about the Gospels. He said this about the Gospels. He said, there are not four Gospels, but rather a fourfold Gospel, each disciple giving one part of the Revelation. So, what he's saying He's saying these, these stories all work together. Each of these men as evangelists, as disciples, are teaching us something. The Gospels provide a fourfold um, explanation of God's work and help us with our understanding. Another scholar further described the Gospels in terms of the Hebrew community during the time of their time from going to Egypt, their journey to the Promised Land. Well, Christ had, God had um, the nation of Israel in a specific order. He had that community arranged in a certain way. And, and one Bible scholar said Matthew gave, gives us a view of the whole camp surrounding the king or the tabernacle, which represented and, and demonstrated a theocracy ruled by God Himself. So, this scholar just said, you know, Matthew gives us kind of a broad view, a, a complete, a detailed understanding, but it demonstrates God as He rules over His people there in the wilderness. And then Mark, we find ourselves maybe in the tabernacle. We're moving toward the middle here. We're in the tabernacle. And what was the, play, the tabernacle? Well, for all the children of Israel, the tabernacle was a place of service and it was a place of sacrifice. And so, as we read the book of Mark, we're, we're being drawn in into um, this encounter with God that's even more close and more special and more, more personal. The book of Luke you pass into the holy place where the candlesticks are. They burned and incense went up to God. Where the table of showbread was, the holy place where only the priests would go. And we see a more intimate view with the book of, of Luke. But in the book of John, this writer said, we enter within the veil, the holiest of all. You think of John, John would have considered and wrote about himself that he was a disciple whom Jesus loved. He had a, a special, close, intimate relationship with God. He was the one who at the Last Supper leaned on Jesus' breast. He was, he was closest among the three that were closest to Christ. John was the closest of those three. So, viewing this book we read these verses with awe, understanding the depth of John's understanding about who Christ was and how he related to him in a very personal way. So, John 1 verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In the beginning was the Word. You know, allow me for a moment to try and explain the unexplainable. I, I read some of these things in studying and understanding God. God is unexplainable. In the beginning, well we only view ourselves in this world in terms of time. But God gave us time to understand our world. So, in the beginning of time as we understand it was the Word. At that point in time where um, God revealed Himself to us in the beginning of time as we know it, 
God exists outside of time, something we don't understand, something we can't relate to, something we will understand in eternity. The removal, the constraints of time in the beginning of time as we understand it was the Word, the source of all knowledge, the source of all wisdom. That's who God is. We exist because of Him. In the beginning was the Word. Verse 14 it says, And the Word, the source of all wisdom, the source of all knowledge, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is only as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, God Himself, this wonderful gift, this unspeakable gift, this gift we can't even begin to understand, I can't begin to explain, became flesh came to this earth, lived on this earth. He dwelt among us. We have it recorded in His Word. We can learn so much about Him because of this unspeakable gift. But for what purpose and to what end? The Lord tells us in His Word. John explains it in this passage. We read about it because He wants this relationship with us. He wanted to express His love. He, he expressed His love through His very existence here on this earth. The purpose in the end was for our relationship with Him, our receiving of that love, and then communicating that love to others. The purpose, why would God come down to this earth and become flesh? How can we understand God's love? Well, just for a few moments, think about what Christ left behind. Just think about what Christ left behind at Christmas to come down to this earth to dwell among us. Again, we can't comprehend it. We can't begin to imagine it. Our minds are so limited. But God left the beauty of heaven, a place, a perfect place, an amazing place, a place pictured in Revelation with gates of pearl and streets of gold. And those are just the words we understand. Can you imagine how, how beautiful heaven must be if God's there? If God created this place of amazing splendor, we can only grasp a small, a small part of His creativity in creation. We can't even understand. The created cannot understand the Creator. It's not possible. And, and yet God left this beautiful place, the splendor of heaven. He left the perfection of heaven. Heaven's a perfect place. Everything we witness has been subject to sin, subject to the curse. That's all we know. But God, Jesus Christ, was willing to leave this perfect place, this beautiful place. What did He leave behind? He left behind unbroken fellowship with the Father. Can't even begin to imagine what the relationship of God in perfect unity, a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, forever in fellowship, perfect fellowship, completely unbroken. And He walked away from all of that in His incarnation to be born as a baby. What did He leave behind? You know, think of leaving your dream home. Just imagine your dream home, whatever that would be, and going to a shack. Something total destitution. Something that provided so little comfort. So little shelter. That doesn't even begin to touch what Christ left behind in heaven to come to this earth. But that's the limits of our ability to understand. Think of leaving a place of peaceful unity, 
complete peace and going to a place of total dysfunction and total disunity. The things that Christ encountered that he never had to deal with in heaven, that he never had to encounter in heaven. Think of leaving a loving family to accept abuse and mistreatment. I mean, when we think about God's love, just for a moment, dwell on what God left behind, what Christ left behind. And then think of what he came to, this earth. He chose to come to this earth. Isaiah 53 gives us a, a picture of, of what Christ left and what he came to when the prophet prophesies about Christ. In Isaiah 53 it says, Who hath believed our report? To whom hath the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon Him. By His stripes we are healed. He came to this place so much sacrifice we can't even begin to understand the sacrifice that Christ made when He came to this earth. He dwelled on this earth um, when He lived here. Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 explains how He humbled Himself. Just be like us. The Creator, living in many ways beneath or below or as a servant to His creation. He lived in poverty. He served the lowest and the least, the outcast, the hurting. And He did so, and just think for a minute, sinlessly. You know, we struggle every single day with sin. The Bible says He was in all points tempted like as we are. He did it sinlessly. He left heaven a place of perfection, perfect peace, perfect love, came to this earth to live among sinners, in all points lift, as tempted as we are, He did so without sin. What did He submit Himself to in His death? Just think about it. Total humiliation. Abuse beyond anything we can comprehend. The sins of the world placed on his back in total separation from his father. The things he submitted himself to. Matthew 27, 46, he cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You think all these things he submitted himself to, yet he overcame death. He, he returned, he was resurrected. He returned to heaven. And what does He do for us today? The Bible says He's sitting there at God's right hand interceding on our behalf. He made these amazing sacrifices. He gave His life for us. And then He returned to heaven not to just let us sort it out ourselves, but no, us as the accused by Satan, the Bible says the accuser of the brethren, and there's Christ on our behalf, standing there before the Father, interceding on our behalf. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, Wherefore is He able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession 
for them. God loves us in a way we can't begin to comprehend. And His birth, His life, His death communicates that to us, how much He loved us. The verse we read in John, if we understand His love, He says in verse 15 of verse 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. He's saying, I've loved you. The Father's loved me. I've passed that love on to you. What does He ask from us? He says, let my love be motivation. Continue in my love. How do we do that? By passing that love on to others. By actively passing that love on. Verse 8, herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. He says, I'm glorified. I take pleasure. I take joy. It's, it's your purpose. It's, it's the purpose I want to possess you. This time of year, we're going to receive love. You're going to receive gifts. We're the recipients of the ultimate, the greatest gift. What can we do short of passing that on to others? Passing that on, um, continuing God's love is passing God's love along to others. It requires that we refuse to live our life in our own strength. We can't do it on our own. It, re it requires us refusing to live out our life serving this world system, serving the culture that we're around. What stands in our way? You know, sadly enough, the things that most often stand in our way are God's gifts. It's like a kid who's given gifts by their parents think, that's mine. And they pull that in to themselves. What stands in our way of demonstrating God's love to others. Many times it's just the blessings we've received from Him, the, the job, the family, the friends, the things that occupy us that don't allow us the time, the energy, the thought, the wisdom, the love to share it with others. We all struggle with differing degrees of selfishness. But generally, we suffer from the greatest thing, and that would be a lack of gratitude. So what can we do? Think about, what can I do to share God's love with others? The most appropriate response to God's love. This amazing love. This love demonstrated. This love that we ought to reflect on here at this time of year. Well, first of all, we need to demonstrate our care. You know, what did Christ do? He cared. He loved. He demonstrated it. He cared. And for you and for me, man, we've got to just stop caring about ourselves long enough to actually care for someone else. There are a lot of cares, a lot of things, a lot of people that you and I can help if we cared. We have to stop caring about ourselves long enough to care for someone else. For all of us here tonight, it's going to be different. How do I pass God's love along? How do I share His love? By caring. Well, how do I care? For you and for me, for everyone here, it's going to be different. But if we care, we will do something. We will demonstrate. Caring is universally recognized. If we're Christ-like tonight, we care. A second thought would be we sacrifice. You and I can't think of ourselves as Christians if we aren't sacrificing in some way. If there's not something we're willing, if there's not something we're willing to give up, we're not very caring. We aren't very loving. It doesn't go very deep for us if we're not sacrificing. 
Sacrificing isn't always measured in dollars. In terms of sacrifice, money can sometimes be an excuse not to really sacrifice. Sometimes it's harder to sacrifice your time. Uh, sometimes it's harder to sacrifice your love. Sometimes it's harder to sacrifice just your attention or your car or your help or whatever it is. What are you willing to sacrifice this year during this Christmas season? What sacrifices are you willing? You know, so many times we come up with excuses to not sacrifice. God revealed to us through His Word and through His Son, Jesus Christ, who He was. And He revealed Christ through His birth. And at Christmas we celebrate His birth. You know, through Christ's life on this earth we are taught how to live. We learn more about His character. And we better understand our purpose. Through His death in our place, in His resurrection, in victory over death and hell, we've received this amazing gift. And that should give us purpose. None of us are without purpose. And that purpose should be sharing His love with others. The question I want you to ask yourself tonight, is God going to have a parenting moment with you this Christmas? Is He going to see you demonstrate your love as a reflection of how good He's been to you, to someone else? But that's what God wants. That's what He has in His heart. It's important for us to understand what that means to Him. He loved us so much. We demonstrate our love by demonstrating His love to others. Is someone going to know God is real because of you? You know, Christmas is more than lights, get-togethers, and gifts. It's about making God real to someone else. You know, we're going to enjoy Christmas. I trust everyone here will. But you know, the question I would ask is, will God know what you believe about Him this Christmas? Will, you, will God believe that, will God know that you see His love as real in your life? Is God going to know what you believe about Him because you're actively sharing that love with your family? You know, that's something we ought to do every single day. We have no excuse. God loves us. We're part of His family. As our loving Heavenly Father, He completely accepts us. And He just expects us to share that love with those closest to us, the people it's easiest and often to, often to take advantage of and take for granted. Are you sharing God's love with your family? Are you demonstrating your belief in God and, and your understanding of His love because of how you relate to your family, by how you relate to them? With your coworkers. Man, it's easy to just put that off and say they're lost. They don't care about me. They don't care about God. It's time of year. Demonstrate God's love to them. God loves them as much as He loves you and me. They're no different in God's eyes. Those people we find hardest to love, your family member, a coworker, your neighbors. Do they see God's love as real in your life because you care, because you give them time, because you help? with someone less fortunate. If Christ taught us anything, it was to look out for people that were less fortunate than us, that have less, that will enjoy Christmas less than us. It's important for us to look out for them and to care for them this year. You know, it's easy to sing about God's majesty, the choir, 
has been practicing a wonderful presentation for us. And the songs this past Sunday, they take us to this place of reflecting on God's majesty. But tonight, for a few moments as we think about Christmas, I think it's important to reflect on God's love. And God's love always brings us to a place of action. When we stop, we spend time, we clear our mind, and we reflect on who He is. God's love, this amazing gift, should give us purpose. And we should, this Christmas, just stop. It doesn't have to be about ourselves. Oh, it will be. We'll receive gifts and we'll give gifts. But let's give the gift of God's love. Probably the most important gift we could give anyone. You know, these invitations that are here, it's important to pass those out. Why? It's just saying, you know, I'm not so much about myself as I am about sharing God's love with someone else. Pastor mentioned Sunday morning, he encouraged us. Sunday night, he encouraged us um, with a choir practicing to show how much we appreciate the work that they put in by just being thoughtful, inviting someone else. What's that? It's just stopping long enough to encourage someone along the way, invite them, encourage our choir, invite someone who would otherwise not see God's love the same if you hadn't stopped and given them time. Tonight, we can all spend more time reflecting on God's love. If we do, it'll make a difference in our life. It'll make a difference in our Christmas season. Stand with me, if you would, tonight.